right, we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of Mark today, um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, and we're keeping on in our series on what we're calling triumphant. We're just thinking about how Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of, of all that is. Jesus is the Lord of the way that we act and the, and the way that we think even and wants to be the Lord of all of who we are. So let's turn there. Can we mark chapter 9? I'll read verses 38 to 50 for us. And then at the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can say, thanks be to God. Let's stand as I, as I read. Mark 9, 38 to 50. So John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves. And live in peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. It's one of the great joys about preaching from the lectionary, where our passages are assigned to us. If you're un unfamiliar with this, we, we're preaching through what's known as the Revised Common Lectionary, in which we're, we're, we're tipping our, you know, dipping our toes into some passages of Scripture that we might not necessarily lean towards, and cutting off body parts and burning in hell are not necessarily the parts of Scripture that I lean towards. And yet, these are biblical realities, and so here is where we find ourselves today. Amen? Aren't you excited? Aren't you just like, what's he going to say about this? Just, just put all the sharp objects away, all right? Just, whatever. just put all the sharp objects away right now. No one get too ahead of yourself, all right? Um, this Thursday, just this last Thursday, I had a chance to kind of be host to a retirement luncheon for a good pastor friend of mine who has been the pastor at the Church of the Nazarene down in Ventura for the last 31 years. It's a pretty good run. Dan Hull is his name, and he, uh, before that, he was pastor in Lone Pine for seven years and an associate pastor in Anaheim for four years, 42 years of pastoral ministry. Not bad. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Props to Pastor Dan. And uh, we had a really nice time just hanging out together and, 
and uh, he's like, you know, most pastors, he's retiring from pastoral ministry, but not really retiring uh, from ministry. He's moving to Phoenix, where his daughter and her husband and her child and soon coming child live with his wife, and there he will be a, a chaplain for hospice. And so really grateful for him and really grateful just for the time that we had to be together this week. Um, it, was, uh, it was appropriate that I was sort of the, the host for this lunch. I'm kind of our zone coordinator. We have pastors of Nazarene churches from representative there from Oxnard and Camarillo, and we had Northridge and Fillmore and Santa Paula uh, at this lunch. Uh, and it was kind of appropriate because I, I was, um, Dan was one who welcomed me to this team of pastors when I first arrived. It was a long, many years ago when I first landed in, in town as a pastor here at Coast Community. And I remember going into my office. If you're unfamiliar, my office is right over there. Sometimes people show up to talk to me. And they're like, ooh, what's back here? Uh, that's my office right over there. And I remember going to my office and seeing on the desk a postcard. Remember what? Remember postcards? It was a postcard invitation. And we did have email in the day, but uh, thankfully they were communicating with postcards as well. And there was a postcard invitation to come to the, the Zone Pastor's Breakfast at the Denny's on Seaward in Ventura. And I was like, you know what, I just got here, fresh out of seminary, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing, and so I'm going to breakfast. That's one thing, I remember people telling me at seminary that I would need to have pastoral fellowship and, and people around me, and so I'm, I'm going to go for it. I didn't know anybody, I didn't know any of these people, but I drove down to, uh, I drove down to, to Ventura. I didn't even know how long it took me to get to Ventura, I was late getting there. Some of you are like, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I like to maximize my time and every opportunity. Um, <laughs> but I got there, and I remember I, I walked in, I'm like, all right, who are the pastors? Not hard to pick them out, you know, pretty easy group to spot in Denny's. And I walked over, this group, probably five or six, all men at the time, and, uh, and I remember Pastor Dan was one of the ones at that time, and those many years ago, who turned around and greeted me and welcomed me, and to a guy who was pretty nervous and not sure if this was a place where I belonged, he made me feel very much like I, I belonged. And uh, so, so a blessing to be able to sort of send him off this week, recognizing that all, and, and Dan was the last of that group that had welcomed me to still be a pastor in our zone. Others have retired or moved on. And so there's no, no one else who was here when I got here. I'm it. I'm the senior member of this team of pastors. That's kind of scary in its own right. But, but how good to be a part of a group. How, how good, whether it was all those years ago when I was first welcomed or this, this last week when I was a part of this gathering to, to share and... and, and just be a part of life together. Many of us, if not most of us, hopefully have been a part of some life-giving group at some point in our lives, whether it was like, like, like this one, a group of colleagues, or maybe it was a staff that you were a part of. Maybe it was a, a group of, of teammates or classmates. Maybe it was a Bible study or 
a worship band that you get to be a part of. This worship band, by the way, they have a great time when they get together for practice. Uh, sometimes I'm over in my, my office, right over there, that's where it is, and I can hear them while they're rehearsing, and there's a lot of laughter along with a lot of singing. Um, maybe it's just a, a, a school club or a, just a group of friends that you've been a part of. It's great. Maybe some of you are like, yeah. Love to be a part of a group, to feel a part of something, to know that you're cared for. People are truly interested in you. People miss you when you're gone. But what happens, I began to think, and this, maybe your minds automatically go to this place as well. What happens when a good group goes bad? When a group that maybe had good intentions to begin with starts to get off track and becomes maybe less about who to let in and more about who to keep out. And a group begins to think that they're somehow maybe superior to everyone else and doesn't need anybody else. What happens when groups grasp for power and try to keep other groups from getting power and, and sort of become insulated and isolated and so inwardly focused perhaps that they lose touch with the world around them? I, I don't know if you've been a part of a group like this, Probably you have. Most of us at some point in our lives have been a part of a group even like this, tragically. Others of us have maybe been in the crosshairs or the target of groups like this, either being left out or pushed away or just sort of attacked in some way or another. The question of our text this morning, one question of our text this morning is simple. What happens when a group of Christ followers becomes a group gone bad? What happens when, say, a historic band of 12 disciples or even a local church in our own day, one perhaps something like ours, chosen and loved by God, begins perhaps to get a a bit of an overinflated sense of who they are? It begins to subtly build barriers between other groups and persons rather than bridges. Becoming focused on small-minded questions like, who's the greatest? <laughs> and who's on the inside? And who's on the outside? It was Peter's turn a couple of weeks ago to get chastised by Jesus. Today, it's John's. It will be James's a little bit later on in the book of Mark. And it's interesting how Mark highlights the three disciples who are known to be closest to Jesus, Peter, John, and James, as those who are saying rather crazy things to Jesus at different times within his ministry. Maybe that's just a little bit of of an invitation for us who are drawing close to Jesus to Recognize that we can say crazy things too, and he's not going to throw us out. But it's John who, who speaks out to Jesus in verse 38, and he speaks in such a way that makes it sound, and I even read it with extra emphasis to make it sound that way even more, that he assumed that he and the other disciples had done something that was not only appropriate, but that would make Jesus very proud of them. We found somebody casting out demons in your name. And Jesus, we just want you to know that we put a stop to it right away. We are not going to let that go on at all. 
It's not clear exactly why John and the other disciples were concerned about shutting down this rogue exorcist, but that's what they were doing. It's not clear if, if they were um, afraid that maybe, uh, you know, Jesus had authorized them and only them at this point to do this sort of ministry in the world, and it's not clear that maybe they thought that if they let it go on, that, that things were kind of going to get out of control a little bit, get out of hand, and, and, and get away from what Jesus wanted, and, and maybe Jesus wanted just to kind of keep this close to the vest. It's not clear if maybe they were threatened by the ministry of this other outsider person who had begun to, begun to cast out demons. It, we're already told by Mark in the same chapter back, in, I think, verses 14 to 18 of a story in which a man brought his son to, to the disciples to have a demon cast out of his son, and the disciples were unable to do so. Could be that they hear these stories or they see this man doing what they couldn't do, and that's reason enough just to shut him down right there. Yeah, I'm going to let you get away with, with this. This guy was getting the job done, job done where they couldn't. But we quickly learn that the disciples' reaction to this guy was not what Jesus wanted. This was not what he had in mind. And this is, a, this is sort of a side note, but I thought it important just to maybe slide this in here. Let, let this be an important lesson for any and all of us who would assume or presume to know how Jesus might feel and act about any and all situations in the world in which we live. I mean, we, we can have some sense of certainty, no doubt, about how Jesus would feel in certain situations, but, but over and over in the Gospels, we see Jesus kind of entering into a certain context and, and responding in unique and very personal ways. And for us to set up hard and fast categories about how Jesus would always act or how Christians should always act in certain situations is, is I think, a little dangerous. Jesus isn't always so easy to pin down. The disciples, the 12 who had been hanging out with him the most, thought they knew exactly what he wanted. We shut him down, Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. Don't stop him. <laughs> Don't stop him. Jesus seems to say, if someone's casting out demons in my name, they're honoring me. They're not going to be speaking evil of me anytime soon. And this interesting phrase, anyone who is not against us is for us. I had to read that a few times. Because I'm used to hearing it a little bit of a different way. Are you as well? You know what I'm saying? He's, Jesus says, anyone who's not against us is for us. Most of the time when I say this type of phrase or I hear it, it's usually if anyone who's not for us is against us. And I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the way that Jesus says that because I think most of us, and I think the disciples included, just sort of have this idea that most people are against us. And Jesus seems to turn the tables on that comment by saying, no, 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 if they're not against us, then they're for us. He's not one of us, the disciples were saying. He must be against us. But Jesus seems to say this, let's not only not stop him 
let's set him loose. Let's set him loose into the world to do the work that, that is in my name, that is done by my power, that is accomplishing the very purposes that I came to, to accomplish. Let's set him loose to do the work of God in the world. I love how unstressed Jesus is about the whole situation. Jesus is like, guys, chill out. Our ministry is in the hands of the Father. It has been from the very beginning. It will continue to be till the end of time. Let's just relax and let's get a sense of what's going on here. And if it's, if he's not against us, then he's for us. I think Jesus also knew and makes clear right here that, that, that ultimately God's mission was was, was even more vast than, than perhaps he could even imagine, that these disciples could, could imagine for sure, and that it was, the stakes were too high for this to remain a sort of private operation. He understood that God's purposes for him and for the world were far greater, and, and that they could not begin even at this point to limit just how God would accomplish his purposes. Don't, don't shut him down. Let him go. Don't stop him. Don't keep him from doing the work that God has called him to do. How tragic. How tragic when a group of disciples or a a local church becomes a bottleneck for the mission of God. You know what a bottleneck means? I mean, it's just the mission of God's flowing and then it hits a group of disciples and it just, the mission of God is just flowing and it hits a local church. It's like bottleneck, not going anywhere fast now. How tragic when a group of disciples or a church becomes a bottleneck for the mission of God with our, particularly with our, with our insular self-protective, and small thinking. Like John is displaying here in the other disciples, with, with, our, with our beliefs that we know the best way to do things, with our refusal perhaps to, to partner with those around us who have the same goal but may approach things from a slightly different angle. One writer said it like this, Christians need to hold fast to the absolute centrality of Christ in mission and identity. But they must reject an exclusiveness that fails to see the work of God occurring even through those who are not, quote, one of us. Jesus is central, without a doubt, our our identity and our mission. But our our sense of excluding others who may not see it exactly like we do is dead wrong. Jesus invites us, friends, to get out of the bubble, to be those who are offering that cup of water to any who would claim the Messiah. I picture it sort of like those working the water stations at a marathon or a long-distance run. Some of the most aggressive water distributors that you can see, right? They're not like standing over by the table. Here's some water if you want to come get it. They're they're like moving out. Here's water, putting it out there, 
for the runners to grab as they go on. Don't, don't break stride. Keep in motion. Keep going where you're going. Keep your time. Keep your pace. But here's the water. I'm coming to you with it. And I think this is what Jesus is inviting his disciples and the church to be like in the world in which we live. To not kind of wait back and see how things go, but to step out in resource to those around us who are pursuing ultimately the same things that we're pursuing. To be partners in ministry and mission together, to resource them with what we have and trust that they will resource us with what they have, trusting that God will use ministries and churches that we might partner with to accomplish what he is doing. What is the cup of water that you might hand to someone who calls on the name of Jesus? Well, I thought of a few. Maybe it's a stack of pizzas for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We, we take a stack of pizzas over to the San Marcos Club, I don't know, once a month, Aaron, or so. Maybe somebody in here would just say, you know what, I'm going to sponsor a month, or I'm going to sponsor six months of pizzas for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Maybe it's a, a week of Young Life summer camp from a student who is far from God but being drawn to him. Maybe it's a year for a client at the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. To, to support with our financial gifts. Maybe it's the cost of a green card or a citizenship application with immigrant hope here in our community. How rich and how abundant and how beautiful. Maybe it's just what we're talking about in supporting, going and watching a show next Saturday afternoon and supporting some men and women who have worked hard to, to demonstrate their talents and support a ministry like Alpha. How rich and, again, abundant and, and, and beautiful are these opportunities to partner for God's mission. As if, if this isn't enough, though, Jesus makes it clear that it's not just the bottleneck of God's mission that self-centered and small-minded Christians need to be concerned with. I, I just need, you know, the Apostle John to know that, in case he's listening, that I really don't think he's small-minded. Um, and, and what else did I just call him? Uh, self-centered. It just kind of comes out that way in what it is. But it's this kind of thinking and the activity that results from it that may cause some of what Jesus calls the little ones in this passage, which maybe our children, others translate the word and think of them as new believers. Maybe it's fresh-faced young believers who are eager for ministry and eager to be in, involved and in, in, in working for the mission of God. But they're frustrated, these little ones, by the activity of the self-centered and small-minded Christians. Frustrated by a lack of support or encouragement, Jesus seems to speak of here. When these little ones come up against people who for some reason think that the church belongs to them, or that there is only one way of doing ministry in the world, and become disheartened perhaps by, by, by hoops that they have to jump through or doors of opportunity that are slammed in their faces. Jesus seems to suggest who knows when they might just give up on the whole thing and fall away from God. And, and a, uh, it's not a good end. 
for those who would contribute to this sort of, of, of occurrence in the life of a young one, of a little one, of a new believer, a fresh-faced follower of Jesus, excited by the mission that is before them, but, but disheartened by the other, by the church around them that may give them no space to live into that mission. This week I uh, talked with our good friend Anders Holman by phone. Most of you remember Anders. If you don't know Anders, he uh, is a college student now. He's going to Chico State. And Anders showed up at our church a number of years ago when he was in high school and uh, just showed up, literally just sent us an email and asked if he could come. And we're like, yes, you can. (laughs) If we could go back. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anders just showed up and we... uh, He'll definitely be listening to this, I'm sure, online, so I'm not going to say too many good things about him, but he showed up, and he just gave his, you know, he just gave himself to the church and to the youth ministry, and loved, loved God, and wanted to just continue to grow in his faith, and he became an intern with, with Aaron after he had graduated from high school, and did that for about a year and a half as he was starting college at City College, and uh, has, has, has just continued to respond to this this sense of calling on his life to, to full-time ministry and what that might look like and pastoral ministry and how that might look. And he loves to engage in conversations with Aaron and with me about what it means to be a pastor. And it's a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So he's at Chico State, and I got this call last Sunday afternoon. And uh, we had been trying to kind of call each other for a few weeks, and it hadn't worked out. But finally, he calls Sunday afternoon. He just leaves a message, long message. He says, well... Pastor James, I hate to make this request, but I need to request a transfer of my membership from Coast Community Church of the Nazarene to East Avenue Church of the Nazarene in Chico. And I was like, well, that's not a very nice thing to say on a message. I mean, you could have at least texted me, you know, breaking up over text or over voicemail. Is that, what I'm, is that what it's come to now, Anders? I called him back about an hour later, and, and uh, he didn't answer. And so I'm like, oh, great, we're going in a phone tag. And then he texted me not long ago, or not long after, as I was getting ready to go to another event, but he said, sorry, I couldn't answer. I was in a board meeting. In a board meeting? <laughs> so being the pastor that I am, I began to put, and, and familiar with the the, the polity of the denomination of which we are a part, I began to put two and two together, at least one and one. And I'm getting the, the one is that he wants to have his membership transferred to this new church. And the two, the other one, is that he's going to a board meeting, not to become a board member, but most likely to be voted on to receive what's known as a local minister's license. So not only was this guy transferring his membership, but he was going to be licensed in another church than ours. Like, what is going on here, man? So finally, Monday afternoon, we connected by phone, and I let him have it. (laughs) I let him have it. I said, Anders, we're so stinking proud of you. And uh, are you sure you want to do this? Because I could refuse to transfer your membership. Just stand my ground, buddy. 
He goes, no, I just really feel like it's, it's the right step for me at this point. And talked with the pastors here, and they're going to meet with me and invest in me, and I think it's a good fit. And I know I'm not going to be here forever necessarily either, but it seems like a good progression in my journey. And I, you know, as, as much as I tried, it, the, the wheels were turning, and it was a good, good, beautiful step. So I say that, for one, to tell you to, to keep Anders in your prayer. More than ever, uh, a step like this invites the enemy's attacks. And who knows what sorts of things might come his way uh, in his life in days to come. Keep him in your prayers. But also, I say this to say, this is the kind of, this is the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. People who aren't, and, 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 and I'm so thankful for the people that Aaron put him in touch with at East Avenue Church of the Nazarene, who are not slamming doors in Anders' face, but are opening opportunities for ministry. This fresh-faced follower of Jesus, excited about the mission of God, who's being encouraged and led and, 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 and given the chances to serve beautifully. One writer that I read this week said this. He said, the disciples want to protect the world from someone who does good in Christ's name but does not carry the appropriate credentials. Jesus wants to protect the little ones from those who would abuse the authority given to them in the church. Those of us, and I'm not just talking about pastors and board members, but for those of us who've been around a little while, we've got some authority, whether you know it or not. We've got some capital, and I would invite you to use it in ways that are releasing, ways that are sending, ways that are equipping, as opposed to ways that are keeping down and holding back. It's the kind of self-centered and small-minded thinking that leads us to do that. Jesus also suggests that it can lead to a, a sense of what, what only can be spoken of as sort of a self-important smugness or complacency among his followers that John and the disciples seem to be exhibiting here. And to them, Jesus, Jesus goes on. <laughs> to these disciples who are so caught up in the qualifications of this outsider, Jesus goes on and says, you know what, by the way, if, if I were you, I would quit worrying so much about the qualifications of this outsider and I'd take a, a more careful look at your own life. I, your concern, he seems to say, reading a little bit into this text, but he seems to, your concern with who's in and who's out, your concern with who's the greatest among you is leaving you vulnerable. Your own life is unexamined. Your own life is not looked at critically, and it's leaving you vulnerable for a, a, a spiritual devastation. <laughs> I'm not going to go into a long exposition on Gehenna, <laughs> the, the place uh, that was the, the city dump outside of Jerusalem from which the word hell comes in this passage, but it was a, it was a place where the fires were smoldering. <laughs> And it was a place where there, there, was, there was smoke and burning and, and it seemed like punishment to the people of 
Jesus' day, and that's exactly where he describes that awaited those whose lives were left uh, uncritically examined. Now, let's be clear. Jesus, I, I don't think you needed me to say this, but just to be clear, Jesus never intended any of his followers to amputate any of their limbs or ruin their eyes or any of their organs. This is not the solution for human sinfulness. Jesus has already talked about that this is an issue of the heart, all right? But let's also be clear that just as Jesus didn't hesitate to call for the renunciation of possessions and even of family and even of life itself, if these things stood in the way of following him, here he demands again complete allegiance and a, and a radical departure from anything that might hold sway of, over our lives or keep us from coming under the total authority and rule of Jesus. I mean, he's not using this kind of speech just because it was nice or flowery. It's, it's meant to shock. If it doesn't shock us a little bit, then we need to like, you know, kind of wake up. Somebody, somebody nudge the person who's not shocked next to you. We need to be awakened to this reality and the potential of what an unexamined and uncritically examined life can, can lead to for us. Following Jesus, he would say to his disciples and to us, is, is not, and we need to hear this so badly in the day in which we live. I, all the things that we see and all the things that we read, following Jesus is not simply about finding personal fulfillment and self-satisfaction. I just need to know, I need you, we need to be reminded of that. There is great personal fulfillment in following Jesus. I hope that you find some level, those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, some level of self-contentment and satisfaction in who you are and your identity in Christ. But we need to know that that is by no means the full picture the complete idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It will, Jesus says, it will cost us something. And it may, and this may be what Jesus' point here is, it may even cost us something that isn't necessarily bad or evil in itself. Pay attention to this, like a hand or a foot or an eye, but which at the particular moment is leading us down the wrong path. Did you hear that? It, 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 may, not, it may cost us something that, that, that doesn't seem particularly bad or evil. Our hands, our feet, our eyes, they're not bad. They're just they're neutral, if anything. They, they get us to where we're going to go. But if they're getting us to the wrong places, if these good and, or at least not evil things are putting us in the wrong spaces and in the wrong areas of conversation or are putting our minds in the wrong thought worlds, then we got to get rid of them. There's a lot of us who are just kind of flirting or dancing with, with certain activities or behaviors that in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong or evil, but they are, they are a step to a place where uh, a point of, of no return. And, and Jesus would seem to indicate here that, that this is a place of trouble. There can be no compromise with sin. 
It's the kind of self-centered and small-minded thinking that will cause these disciples and even the church today, as Jesus says, to lose any sense of saltiness that they may have had, any sense of flavoring and seasoning and preserving that they may have added to people's lives. Jesus says, don't let it be so. Got so much to offer the world, Jesus says. It's so much. Don't get, don't get caught up in these, these self-centered, small-minded, sort of insider language, political type of thoughts and behaviors and concerns. Don't get weighed down with this or that, but have your mind and your heart open to what God may want us to be and to do. Be salt. Jesus is saying this world needs preserving. This world needs seasoning. This world needs flavoring. This week I was having a conversation with one of my, my, my friends. Doesn't go to church here. And uh, this was even before the Supreme Court stuff or the judicial, Senate judicial hearings went on this week. It was earlier in the week. And, and he kind of caught my attention at this, this moment where we were together and had a little space for conversation. And he kind of hemmed and hawed for a moment. He said, uh, so, uh, he knows I'm a pastor. He knows I'm just a pastor. Um, actually a pastor. He knows I'm actually a pastor. Thanks. He knows I'm actually a pastor. And uh, he said, so, uh, just, just wondering about kind of this this world that we live in, wondering if you're getting an influx of people at, at your congregation or your synagogue or whatever it is that you call it. <laughs> said, yeah, it's a church, um, congregation. I said, influx. Eh. I said, I don't know if we're getting an influx. Uh, People aren't like breaking down the doors to get into our church. Uh, but, but he said, you know, in this, in this time of uncertainty that we live in, this, this, everyone's kind of grasping at things and everything seems so up in the air. Are, are, are people coming? I said, well, I don't, I don't know if people are coming a, a lot more necessarily. I don't, I don't sense people are like, you know, calling, emailing, when is church? I, you know, I am just, well, this world is so uncertain. I got to. But I, I did tell myself, I don't know about an influx, but I, I did say, you know, I will say that the people who are, who are showing up these days, I said, I, I do have to tell you that I feel like there is a, a bit of a deeper sense of, of longing for connection with God. And, and I told him, I actually told him about you, Trish, and I told him about just sort of some of the conversations and interactions that we've been having as a church fellowship in, in recent days and weeks and months and sort of this sense of gravitas, this sense of, of, of weight, significance, that, that I feel that, that so many are, are sensing in their own hearts and lives based on their own circumstances or based on just this this, this overarching sense of need in our world. I said, I, I don't know if there's an influx, but I do, I do feel like there's a, there's, a, there's a deeper sense of longing. 
And he looked at me and was like, oh, it's, it's, it's good. And he asked me some more questions, just kind of opened the floodgates. Since you're actually a pastor, let me, let me keep going with this. And by the end of our conversation, in which we had kind of gone all around subject to subject, he just thanked me. He said, thank you so much for, I hoped that at some point I would be able to have this kind of a conversation with you. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to kind of share some of these realities about what's going on. But I, it wasn't, of all the things we talked about, it wasn't anything beyond what I shared mostly about the, the dynamic of our church. None, nothing else hit him as hard as, as that particular reality did. You see, this passage is largely hard to hear. There's a lot of warnings. There's a lot of threats. There's a lot of, a lot of punishments, a lot of... A lot, of, uh, a lot of difficulty. And, and most of what I've even said this morning is, you know, let's don't do that. <laughs> Groups can be bad, and let's don't be a, a self-centered, small-minded group. But what I, what I want to tell you on the other side of that is I had this conversation with this man this week, and we looked eye to eye, and I was able to tell him about the life of this community and some of the, the depth and the wrestling with what God is doing in the world and in our lives and the, and the willingness to submit ourselves to him in this, in this strange and beautiful way, that, that, that there was power in sharing about a, a group that is able and willing to do that. So just as groups can be messed up, and we have at times have even heard ourselves saying, well, they're not part of our group. I told them to stop, Jesus. <laughs> or the times when we have said, well, they're not part of our group, so we're not going to quite get aligned with them. Or they're not part of our group, so... They can just do their own thing and hope for the best. Groups can be bad and messed up, and we can get sucked into, just admit it. Somebody just, I mean, just admit it that we can be self-centered and small-minded. If you won't, I will. I am. But groups can also be good. And what Jesus says at the very end brings us back to this hope. He says, and in fact, I'll just read it again because it's not at this point, it's not a question or it's not like some uncertainty or an idea. The very last sentence of this passage, he says, you must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. That's not a maybe. That's a let's go. That's a let's do it. This, that's a, this is what we were made for. This is what the world needs Let's allow the spirit to, to flavor us or re-flavor us with that which is preserving and life-giving to the world. Let's allow the spirit to create a sense of, of, of peace within one, one another and among one another that, as Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And even may the love that we have for one another and the care and the intensity of concern and peace with which we share to one another, be a witness to the world just like it was to my friend that I shared this week. Groups. A group like this. 
Don't sell yourself short. Don't ever, don't ever sell yourself short. Don't ever be tempted to think, well, we're just, just a bunch of folks that get together. Not really very many of us. Kind of a small building. Groups just like this have changed the course of history. <laughs> and as we realize that we're a part of something so much bigger than us, God takes us and uses us for his, his glory. Let me pray. Worship team, come on up. Oh, Lord, thanks for these hard but good words. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of how easily we can ourselves be sucked into self-centered and small-minded thinking, exclusive kind of thinking, we know how it's done, we've got it under control kind of thinking. Forgive us for the times that we have failed to allow you to be God and you to have the say over who we are and what we do. Forgive us for the times that we have slammed doors in people's faces, especially young ones and fresh-faced ones. Forgive us for the times where we have rained on their mission parade. Forgive us for the times where we have said either to ourselves or out loud, well, we tried that before. That's not going to work. Nice try. Forgive us for the times where we have become so worried with others that we have failed to, to live a self-critical, ex critically examined life where we have just allowed ourselves to get sloppy in our behaviors, where we have allowed good and or bad things to lead us to places where we're flirting with complete and utter devastation spiritually for ourselves. God, forgive us for these times. Forgive us for these moments. Forgive us for the ways that we see ourselves as if looking in a mirror in this passage. We are John. We are the disciples. And paint a picture for us, God. Paint a picture for us, God, of what, of what a group can be who decides instead that all we want is what you want, who decides instead that it's, it's, not, it's not our ideas that are most important, but it's your idea that it's most important. It's not, it's not necessarily the way that things get done. It's that they get done. It's not that the steps to the mission are accomplished, but it's that the mission is accomplished. Help us to recognize, God, even in the way that we treat one another and the peace that we share, in the salt that we offer to the world, that we can be a group, a group that is worthy of your calling and that is bringing glory and honor to you. We give ourselves to you today. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Sing.